this is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences tends to show us how much we have in common. I'm Condice Presley. April, and you guys know we celebrate and recognize and seek to raise awareness about so many things during specific months. April is National Minority Cancer Awareness Month. Now, you guys may know that many cancer patients, especially people living in underserved communities, just can't afford to be a part of a clinical trial that just might save their lives. We have talked at length in this community and on this show about the racial disparities that exist in healthcare. Well, racial disparities in clinical trials have long been an issue that is just another part of the implicit bias that exists. Now, when we talk about Minority Cancer Awareness Month, I'm not just talking about African-Americans, we're talking about African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Hispanics, Native Americans, Alaska Natives, all people who could be helped but are sadly underrepresented. My guest on the program today is an amazing woman. I mean, Mm -hmm. just amazing. And her heart is so full, her generosity. She is Dana Dornsife, and she is the founder of the LaserX Cancer Foundation. This is a foundation that helps patients who run out of options. And without that, without any more, really, I wanted to say, Dana, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about the work that your foundation is doing. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity, Condis, um, to spread the word about really this very important topic. You and your husband have been generous donors uh, and great philanthropists for many, many years. Uh, you shared earlier that you have family who, who live in this community. Tell me about the founding of this foundation and why it specifically reaches out to cancer patients who might have run out of options. Well, it's rooted in the family experience. Um, My youngest sister's husband, Mike, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And uh, for your audience, uh, pancreatic cancer is one of the worst cancer diagnoses that someone can have. He was late stage when he was diagnosed and he was given a one half of 1% chance of survival. So we knew that if he did everything everyone else did uh, with pancreatic cancer, he wouldn't get different results. So he went on to standard of care and I was tasked with finding a clinical trial opportunity for him. I don't have a medical background and most people, you know, don't have medical backgrounds. No, your background is in art and interior design. and yes, lighting. Exactly. So I was wholly unqualified to take on that task. Um, but I loved my brother-in-law. And so I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do it. And so it took me about five weeks to wrap my arms and my head around the whole clinical trial realm and to navigate through his clinical trial options. And at the end of that five weeks, I was best friends with medicaldictionary.com. Because, you know, I was learning all the medical lingo in terms um, and um, I was able to identify several opportunities for him. And it just struck me how challenging going through that whole process was. We got Mike involved in a trial. He responded well for a period of time. You know, that that three months that he was given turned into 19, which we are just feel so blessed to have had him in our lives for that extended period of time. 
And during that time, he would meet lots of other pancreatic patients and they would say, hey, Mike, you know, what are you doing? Because I want to do what you want to do. And he said, oh, just call my sister-in-law, Dana. She'll help you. And so, you know, my phone was ringing and I was talking to strangers, but of course I totally knew exactly what they were going through. And um, when we started talking about logistics and, you know, what they could do to stay engaged in their fight through clinical trials, they almost universally said, I, I can't do that. I can't afford it. And that's when that light bulb went on for me, where I was just overwhelmed. And I thought, my goodness, my brother-in-law is alive because he had a family who could write a check. And that to me was just so morally and fundamentally wrong. And I just said, oh, someday somebody's going to do, has to do something about this. And at the time I truly didn't realize it would be me, but we lost Mike. The phone kept ringing. Here we are 15 years later, having, you know, supported over 6,000 patients in cancer clinical trials. And we can't stop because, you know, it's literally just the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. Walk our audience through what the process is for someone to be considered for a clinical trial as your brother-in-law was. Well, it's really important to understand that when a cancer, when a patient is diagnosed with cancer, they should try to understand what all of their options are right from the beginning of the process. And hopefully medical technology will serve them well and they will never need to go into a clinical trial. But for cancer patients where available options don't work, clinical trials are you know, their only alternative because if you don't do something, you will die, right? Cancer will win. We don't want cancer to win. And clinical trials really are a viable option. So it's really important to talk to your oncologist about clinical trial opportunities, have that knowledge available to you and understand that if you, if you go through your first line of treatment and it doesn't work and you're on a second line of treatment and it doesn't work, when is the optimal time to turn to a clinical trial? Because you don't want to lose that opportunity and you don't want to wait until you're so sick that you won't qualify anymore. Is part of the success of a clinical trial the fact that the researcher who is looking to find the next drug, the next treatment that will perhaps save or at least extend a cancer patient's life, the fact that that researcher needs support to keep doing that work to launch the trial? Absolutely. And, you know, so they do get support from um, the National Institute of Health and National Cancer Institute. But the real challenge, Condis, is enrollment. Clinical trial enrollment in this country is a, is a challenge. We have 5% of patients who have cancer actually participate in trials. Of that 5%, less than 5% come from our minority communities. That is a travesty. Minority participation in cancer clinical trials is essential 
in order to assess the safety and effectiveness of a drug for all segments of our population, right? So it's imperative that we have the participants in cancer clinical trials reflect our actual population so we are understanding drugs and developing drugs for all members of our population, not just the majority uh, uh, participants right now who, who are white. It sounds as if you're referring also to so much of the early research that was done for many health disparities that that research was done on white males and then the results were simply applied to females, to women. And yes. it did not always work. So you're speaking to the great importance of making sure that there are minority participants in clinical trials. Is it that patients don't know that the trial exists? They don't know how to apply for the trial. They don't have the resources to pay for the treatment. Talk more. It's all, it's all of the above. It starts from um, the knowledge perspective, you know, if you don't know about clinical trials and you're fearful of them or, you know, have a degree of mistrust around them, you won't consider participating, right? So, so we have to make sure that everyone knows what a trial is and how they can benefit from it. Then you have the, the, just the financial toxicity from having a cancer diagnosis, right? And can a patient actually afford to participate in a clinical trial? The drug is provided free, but the patient has to get there. And if the patient is, is you know, having um, issues around their finances or, or simply, you know, they're struggling to put food on their table, right? How are they going to, you know, take six buses and go across town and, you know, be out of work for an entire day, right? They can't do it. So, you know, the, the real challenge for uh, minority participants in many cases is equitable access. And we have to provide a pathway for them to get where they need to be when they need to be there to take advantage of medical breakthroughs in clinical trials. And that is what Lazarex does. We find the opportunity and we provide a way for patients to get where they need to be. How do and patients connect? Yeah. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. We also have, you know, the whole issue around, which we're seeing right now, right in the middle of, of, of all of this COVID stuff that's going on, right? We have historical issues around, you know, medical, egregious medical behavior that has taken, you know, place in the past. We have cultural issues. You know, we have socioeconomic issues, right? Financial issues, language barriers, all of these things together really create, you know, just um, a, a group of barriers that we absolutely have to address. Eliminating disparities in health requires concentrated effort on prevention, health participation, and absolutely delivering appropriate care through equitable access. I cannot, you know, express that enough. Talk to us about the impact the LaserX Cancer Foundation has been able to have in the last 15 years. I know you've helped a bunch of people. 
We have helped a bunch of people and that is very noble and we're grateful to, to have been able to do that. But in 2013, we turned our sights to really working on improving the, dis the disparity issue around participation in trials. So we developed a program where we really um, are, have specific activities that we're taking at the institutional level to try and remove some of those barriers systematically. And I'm happy to report that in our, our second kind of phase of this project called IMPACT, we wrapped up 2020 having had 62% of our participants in that program coming from minority communities. That's compared to a national average of less than five. So huge success there. But the most important thing to me is that 51% of, of those participants came from households earning less than $25,000 a year. These are clearly patients who would never have been able to consider participating in a clinical trial without the assistance that Lazarex Cancer Foundation provides. And you're working to address, as you said, chief among them, the trust issues, the mistrust that exists in communities of color about our healthcare system and access to the healthcare system and the disparity issue. That's wonderful that 62% of your participants came from those households. How are you working through your educational programs, the families that you're working with, and then the message that you're able to share, for example, as you are talking to us about the Lazarex Cancer Foundation today on making a difference in all the communities where you operate. So it's important to understand that there really is no one size fits all solution. Um, every community is unique and has its own fingerprint, different beliefs, different cultures, different challenges. And we have to have compassion and understanding for every neighborhood where we work. So how do we do that? Um, we not only work in the community, we work with the community. We meet people where they are and we learn about their specific challenges in relation to cancer knowledge, treatment access and awareness. We develop materials and programs and services that reflect those differences and what people in that particular community might need. And we present those in ways that make sense to them and invite them to participate in their health future, right? So it's, it's place-based work. We go to where the people are. We don't want to burden place additional burden on, on someone who's already experiencing a burden in life, right? So we go to where they are. We, it's community led. We have focus groups. We listen to what the challenges are and what their needs are. And then it is done in a culturally appropriate way. So we're actually engaging with community leaders and people from within their own community who are conducting this work. So there is a, you know, a level of trust 
and understanding that in that communication, that individual will, will be heard and understood. Condis, this is what it takes. It is not easy. It's a heavy lift. If we are going to really, really address health disparities, it has to start and work from the bottom up. It cannot be a mandate from the top down. The mandate from the top down does not address the inherent and historical issues that we have had for decades. So what I have learned is that if you listen and if you respond appropriately and you give people what they need and show them how they can have a better outcome, they want to participate, they will participate. And in fact, they're excited about participating. So I have tremendous hope for the future of this program and our ability to address not just cancer health disparities, but health disparities in general and really transform cancer outcomes. Do you find that the patients you have helped become some of the greatest advocates for the foundation? It is Truly my blessing. I, I feel like I am surrounded by, you know, people say you deal with cancer every day. It must be depressing and difficult. It is depressing and difficult. But what lifts us up every day is that we have success stories. We, we don't save everyone, right? But we know that we turn over every rock. We, we you know, pursue every opportunity, right? And even when we lose a patient, the family is so grateful to know that they were able to do everything they could possibly do for their loved one. So it doesn't make it hurt any less, but they can move on in a more positive way, right? For patients who achieve remission or extended life, where you know, we have so many patients who've been able to see their grandchildren born or their, you know, their kids graduate from college or walk their you know, daughter down the aisle. I mean, the stories just go on and on and on. Young people who you know, have, have um, you know, been successful in their fight with cancer and, and you know, they're in remission now. We have a young girl who was 12 when she was diagnosed, fought cancer for six years and she's going to medical school because she wants to be a doctor, you know? And these are the kinds of stories that people hear and witness. And it's like, um, it's like a ripple effect, you know, because we can have success, we can achieve success. We just are doing it right now, a little bit at a time. Most people know in their head that implicit bias exists, that cultural uh, disparities exist, and they know it but aren't moved to do something about it. What moved you to do something about this? Well, honestly, I am a faith-based woman. Um, I have been extraordinarily, my family has been extraordinarily blessed and I, for me, I really just felt like in this situation with my brother-in-law, God tapped me on the shoulder and said, 
you need to do better, Dana, you can, you can do this, you know? And so, so that's really, I, I never planned to do this. It was, it's not like I had a business plan or I woke up one day and said, Hey, I want to have a cancer foundation. <laughs> um, I just morally could not walk away. You know, when my phone kept ringing, I had to keep answering and I had to keep finding answers. And I just had to keep digging down to understand how did we get here and what can we do to fix this? I don't want to revisit this condos in 20 years from now. I want this to be gone. I don't want to wait until the next pandemic. And then everybody says, oh gosh, yeah, we forgot about those health disparities, right? right. We have momentum right now. People understand what clinical trials are because of the vaccines. They understand the value of clinical trials. They understand what it means to participate in your health future, right? Um, everyone is, is just, you know, very aware of, of the disparities and how they reared their head with our COVID experience. We have those exact same disparities in the cancer experience. It's just that people don't talk about it. It's not in our face every single day, right? Um, so uh, I just am, uh, I don't know, this is my life. I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do it. And, um, you know, I know this, we can never get tired and we can never give up. Sounds like something a, a great friend of mine once said. How do our listeners connect with the Lazarex Cancer Foundation if they know someone in their family or someone in their circle who could benefit from the help that you provide? They can simply go to our website and that is lazarex.org. It's L-A-Z-A-R-E-X.org. Check it out. Our, all of our phone numbers are on there. You know, contact us either through the website or, or via phone. There's a tab on there that, that explains how we can help. It says how we can help you. And that's what we're there to do. So even questions about cancer, anything that's cancer related, I would really encourage your listeners to give us a call. And if we can help, absolutely, we will be there. Tell me about the name Lazarex. Well, um, it, you know, the story of Lazarus from the Bible where he was given a second chance at life, right? And we truly believe that clinical trials do offer cancer patients a second chance at life. So it's actually a combination of, of the Lazarus story and the name of the drug that my brother-in-law was on in his clinical trial called Rex and G. So it's a combination of those two. Well, Dana, you are definitely doing God's work and it has been a wonderful experience spending some time with you. We'll definitely share the website address with our listeners. Thank you for the help that, that you and your family foundations are, are giving to this issue. I am beyond confident that your brother-in-law uh, is smiling and happy and loves the purpose that you found uh, after helping him. So God bless. Well, thank you so much, Condes, and bless you and your audience. And um, I just really appreciate the opportunity to talk about our, our programs. I appreciate you too. Thank you so much.
Thank you. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condis Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.